This ought to be an exciting day for everybody in the house of the Lord and throughout our communities of faith where people are rejoicing and thanking God for all he's done for us. Think of the victory that was won on resurrection morning. Amen. So from the depths of our being, I don't know, I'm speaking for myself. There's a praise that wants to come out of me that is larger than anything I've ever expressed because he deserves all of that and more. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for a great, great special as well. And we're thankful to God for everybody who's worked hard this week preparing for a wonderful morning. Amen. First Corinthians, Paul is writing. He said, but in fact, not theory, not speculation. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. And just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And after the end, after that, the end will come when he will, he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. That's a pretty impressive statement, isn't it? So I think I want to be on the right team when that moment happens. Amen? So, Father, we thank you and bless you for the word of truth. We thank you that the Holy Spirit will make real to us what was made real that first Easter, that we have resurrection life in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I don't want news I can't use, fake news, so much of that anymore in our culture. The press in America no longer reports news fairly and accurately. And how do you know that, Pastor? Because I've given them information and they have misquoted me and misprinted what I said. That's how I know that. Okay? I don't need the president to tell me that. I know that. I want news I can use. And often people attend church and get news they can't use. Sometimes they get a book report or a theory or a doctrine that doesn't have any meaning or reality to their personal lives. I want to give you some news I guarantee you you can use today. Now, I realize this is a busy day, right? It's Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Yeah, you've got things to do today. I feel like the chicken who wanted to lay an egg on the freeway, you know? It's like... <laughs> the rooster said, if you're going to do it, lay it on the line and do it quickly, okay? Let's go. So why is Easter so important? Why? Well, in these 24 hours that people are celebrating, over a billion people are going to raise their hands and give thanks to God for Easter. What's the big deal? Well, when Jesus Christ rose from the grave after being dead for three days, it did a couple of things. First, it proved that Jesus was who he said he was. Second, it validated everything he taught up to that point. The resurrection proved Jesus was who he said he was. In John 8, who are you, they demanded. And Jesus replied, 
the one I have always claimed to be. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. Jesus made some incredibly outrageous claims when he was here on earth. I mean, he said things like, I'm perfect. I'm the Savior of the world. I'm the only way to heaven. I am God. Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So no religious leader had ever made that claim. No other leader claimed to be God. Buddha has never claimed to be God. Muhammad never claimed to be God. Jesus made some ostentatious claims when he said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, the only way to heaven. That doesn't leave any options. There are no other roads. There's no middle ground here. You either say, yes, he was who he said he was, or no, he's not. He's either who he says he was, the Lord, or he's a liar or a lunatic. Jesus said, the way you'll know that I am whom I say that I am, I'm not going to stay dead. I'll come back to life after three days and nights in the grave. So he doesn't say, I am a way. He says, I am the way. There are a lot of people who will say, you know, I believe Jesus was a good teacher. Uh, A new generation has kind of grabbed that one again. That's not a new statement. It's been around a while, but the younger generation has grabbed that one again. I believe he's a good teacher. I just can't understand or accept the supernaturalness of the resurrection. See, there's only one problem with saying, I believe Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus didn't claim to be a good teacher. Jesus claimed to be God. And if he wasn't who he said he was, he wasn't a good teacher. He was a fraud. If I stood up here and I said, you know, my name is Michael Sciosciola and I'm a good teacher, a couple of you might say, yeah, I can buy that. But if I stood up here and I said, I'm Michael Sciosciola and I'm God, that's a whole different ballgame. When Jesus made statements like, I'm God, he's either who he was, he said he was, or he was the biggest fraud who ever lived. So Jesus said, they will mock me, spit on me, flog me with a whip and kill me. But after three days, I will rise again. Now, why did they crucify Jesus Christ? Well, they crucified Jesus because of what he claimed. He claimed to be God. That's what they went to Pilate with. They said, he's blaspheming. That's the death penalty in our religious circles. No one can claim to be God. And the religious leaders had two options, either fall down and worship him or kill him, get rid of him. There wasn't any alternative. So rather than choose to worship him and accept him, they killed him. The problem was Jesus didn't stay dead. (laughs) Three days later, he comes back to life. And there's some of this I am humor in the story of Easter. You know, the great I am God has some wonderful funny little lines and particularities that he puts into the middle of stories like this. Can you imagine being a religious leader? You strutted around for a couple of days thinking you finally got rid of a heretic. You publicly execute Jesus in front of thousands of people. You've baited the entire Roman Empire to buy into your political theories and, and join you in this crucifixion. Everybody knows he's dead. He's in the tomb. They've got Roman centurions guarding this place. Three days later, Jesus is making appearances and personal visits to people all over the city. And the Bible says the Romans put a large stone in front of the tomb and put a seal on it 
with a 24-hour special ops forces all around it, round the clock, keeping an eye on that stone. They were, they were only postponing the inevitable. He said, I'm coming back to life. And when he did, every one of them was on the ground and Jesus had resurrected. They said, I am the son of God. After all, the father set me apart and sent me into the world. And don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me. So Jesus said, here's what I claim, and here's what I'm going to do to prove it. And if I don't do it, I'm not God. I'm a fraud. I've lied to you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is now a matter of public record. This was not something done in secret. It was the headlines of the Jerusalem Times. The whole city knew about it in a matter of hours. Eventually, the entire Roman Empire heard about it. It was big. It was huge news. The guy was publicly executed, and three days later, he's walking around in the city. No fake news here. There are at least 15 incidences in the Bible alone of what Jesus was doing after he came back to life. He was in Jerusalem for a while. He talked to people. He ate with people. They touched him. They realized that he was living. One time he spoke to over 500 people in one setting at one time. The buzz was everywhere. George Gallup did a survey and said that somewhere between 70 and 75% of Americans accept the resurrection as an historical fact that something happened there that no one can seem to put their finger on. I believe he did what he said he would do. That's my faith. So, so Jesus was who he said he was. He was God. What does that mean? Why is that so important? If God had wanted to relate to us as ants, he would have shown up as an ant or as a bird. He would have communicated as a bird. No, he wanted, he, God desired to reconcile with human beings our brokenness. So he became human. And I can't relate to some force, not certain of whether on any given day it's going to be either good or evil, light or dark. But when I see God in the form of Jesus the Christ, I can relate to him. That's something I can get hold of. This is what God looks like. This is how he appears. And even if you don't accept the, the, the resurrection as historical fact, realize that you use Jesus Christ as a reference point every single day of your life. Every time you write a check, every time you write down a date on a form, especially when you're standing in line at the DMZ, right? DMV. April 21, 2019. 2019 years from what? From what? Jesus Christ, the resurrection. It's the most significant event in history. It split history from BC to AD. It's the most important historical fact because God came to earth in human form, lived among us, proved that he was God, crucified for our sins, came back to life after he was dead and stayed around for 40 days afterwards communicating and meeting with people. Whether you believe it or not, you still use Jesus Christ as a reference point every single day of your life. When the calendar flips tomorrow morning again, it'll remind you it's been that many days since Jesus rose from the dead. 
Now, how is this news that I can use? Jesus, by raising from the dead, not only proved he was who he said he was, but it validates what he said was the truth. If Jesus wasn't who he said he was, then how can you believe anything else he had to say? If he said, I'm God, and didn't raise back up from the dead, how could you trust anything he's saying? Yet he did, and since he proved he was who he said he was, then we can be certain that everything he taught us is the truth. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Notice the benefit. Most people in our culture are not free. They're bound up, captive to worry, fear, depression, bound by bitterness, anger, fatigue, insecurities, enslaved to addictions and codependencies. Most people really aren't free. They're not living. They're just existing. Jesus said, when you know the truth, it's going to set you free. And what is the truth that frees? He gave us four principles. And this news changes our lives. First, that God made us with a destiny. Second, that we can know God personally. Third, we can be forgiven and we get a do-over. And fourth, we can go to heaven when we die. That's pretty good news. God made us with a destiny. That means we're not here by accident. I don't care what the circumstances were related to your birth. There is no such thing as an illegitimate child. Every person on earth, God has a purpose in bringing you out of time into eternity. He planned you before you were born. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace, Paul wrote. So it's important for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God made you because he loves you. He planned your life. He wanted you to come into existence. He wanted you as a part of his family. And what's the purpose of life? To get up in the morning, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to bed, get up in the morning, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to bed. Is that it? Is that why you exist? What do I do? Well, I make money, I spend it, I retire, and then die. Is that it? Am I just here to take up space? The fact is, one of the reasons Jesus died for us is because God made us for a purpose. He made us for a reason. We've all asked the question found in the book of Ecclesiastes, what is the point of life? Why do we exist? We're all going to ask that. You are made for purpose, and until you discover why God made you and what he made you for, his plan for your life, you're not really living, you're just breathing air. You're existing. Many people have much to live on, but little to live for. That's a tragedy. On the other hand, when you do discover why God made you and what he made you for, that's one of the reasons we exist as a church at Calvary Christian Center, to help you discover who you are. All of a sudden, life takes on meaning and significance and fulfillment you never thought possible. That's good news. God made us and purposefully brought us out of eternity into time. And we can know God personally. Ever prayed in your life and you felt like your prayers bounce off the ceiling? You wonder, is anybody ever listening to me? Am I just talking to myself? Is there really a God hearing any of this? 
maybe there is a God, but is he really interested in the details of my life? Hmm. Yeah, he's interested in every detail of your life. He knows every single thing about your life. He wrote the book of your life before there ever was a day on earth. He created you. He knows every molecule. He knows all your DNA. And, and, and the Bible says that God has even numbered the hairs on your head. And, and if you read in the Aramaic, it means in the sequence in which they fall out. So <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> that's what it means. That's how detailed he is. And for some of us, that's not too hard for God to figure out. God's interested in every area of your life. He told those that followed him, he said, you see the sparrows? You see, if one of them falls, my father attends his funeral. You're much more valuable to my father than the sparrow that falls. God's not satisfied in just knowing everything about you. God wants you to know him. That's mind-boggling. He knows all about me, but he wants me to know him. Not just about him, but to know him. And there's a word for knowing about God. It's the word religion. Religion is knowing about God. I'm not talking about religion. I don't care what the religious background may be. It may be Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, some new age thing. Religion is knowing about God. But knowing God means I have a relationship. Jesus Christ did not come to earth to give us a religion. He came to give us a relationship. It's like an immunization shot. When you get an immunization shot, they give you just enough of the disease so you can't get the real thing. It inoculates you. With religion, a lot of people have just enough knowledge about God to inoculate them, and it keeps them from getting the real deal. God wants you to know him. The person who knows my commandments and keeps them, that's who loves me. And the person who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and make myself plain to him. Wouldn't you like to know God in that kind of a way? The one who made everything says, I want you to know me. It's an intimate, personal, practical relationship where you can talk to him just like I'm talking to you. You can it's not a freaky thing. You can, as an intellectual, rational human being, get to know God because he wants you to know him. You don't, get, you don't let religion get in the way and prevent that. I can know God personally. We can be forgiven. We can start over. We, we all carry guilt around. We all carry the if-onlys and the regrets. Guilt builds barriers between you and God. I don't want to get to know God if I think he's going to condemn me and squash me. You received the wrong message if that's what you think. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Guilt builds barriers between you and other people. And if you feel guilty towards somebody, you don't want to see them. Real living is guilt-free living. When you get up in the morning... Look at yourself in the mirror, and after the shock, say, I'm forgiven. <laughs> yeah. You know you've blown it, made a lot of mistakes, said a lot of dumb things, and made bad decisions, but you know I'm forgiven. All of us have made decisions that we wish we hadn't made, said things we'd love to retract, 
done things or thought things we wish we hadn't and embarrassed ourselves. If I had a couple of ginormous screens up here, and that's the plan soon to get those up sometime early through the summer months, two ginormous screens up here to show uh, everything that every person in the room ever thought this last week, every deed, every action, everything that was going on in your life, Wow, wouldn't that be a, well, that'd be some service we'd be in that morning. That's for sure. None of us is perfect, yet Jesus Christ said we can be forgiven and start over. God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Canceled. Don't you like that word? Canceled. You might want to circle that on your worksheet. Cancel. Like a canceled check. How long do you remember a debt once it's been canceled or a bill that's been paid? It's paid in full. Done. We don't worry about debts that have been paid. We forget about them. He's saying here that we don't have to worry about sins that have been paid for and they've been lifted off the page of our record. If God has forgiven it, we can forget it. That's good news. And even if there were no such thing as heaven, it would be worth becoming a Christian just so you could have a clear conscience. The joy of getting up in the morning and saying, I'm not carrying this load around me all the time that's overwhelming me and weighing me down. How many of you remember when you were kids you used to play with an Etch-a-Sketch? Anybody remember that? You'd make pictures, you know? Yeah. You know, you draw these little lines on here, and if you made mistakes, you know, you could, you could keep getting more. That's pretty cool. Not too bad, Pastor. Look at that. You did it. Yeah. You could make on an Etch-a-Sketch anything you wanted to conceive in your mind, but if you messed up, what could you do? It's clean. That's the Etch-a-Sketch verse in the Bible I just quoted to you. He canceled all our sins. So if you don't get anything else this Easter, tune in. Regardless of whom you are, no matter what it is you've ever done, you matter to God, you really do. Nobody will love you more than Jesus Christ. He already paid for everything you've ever done wrong. So you can stop nailing yourself to the cross because he took it for you. That's good news. Once you're forgiven, you get a fresh beginning, a new start. We can go to heaven when we die. Anybody excited about that? You need to know where you're going because you can get all dressed up and not know where you're going. I don't know where I'm going. I know where I'm going, right? That's good news too. I'm thankful for good news. I know where I'm going. that God has a purpose for my life, that God has provided forgiveness for my failures and sins, that I'm going to get to go to heaven and spend forever with him, even though this life here is short, forever in eternity I get to be with Jesus. It's amazing and celebrate and work together for, with him, building his everlasting kingdom. You know, about the street preacher and the drunk, you know, they have their... They have their interactions from time to time. I remember going into the, the, the community down, down into the very core of the city of Chicago and speaking to people about Jesus. And 
You know, the drunk said to the preacher after the preacher was offering eternal life, and the preacher said, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, no way. And the preacher said, well, why don't you want to go? And the drunk said, I thought you were taking a group right now. So so he he wasn't quite ready. Never walked through the the cemetery and checked out the gravestones and the markers and the statements that are on them. You know, I've thought of some celebrity tombstones. What would I put on the tombstone of some of these people if they, they were passed, like Rodney Dangerfield? I can't get any last respects, you know. Or, or her, all right, Geraldo, <laughs> Geraldo Rivera, you know, he may be buried here. <laughs> or, or Shirley MacLaine, I've been here before. Okay. <laughs> or Elton John, I'm decomposing. Yeah. Or Johnny Carson, here's Johnny. <laughs> or Arnold Schwarzenegger, hasta la vista, baby. How about Michael Jordan? Air Jordan, grounded. <laughs> or Captain Kirk, will somebody please beam me up? Okay. And how about Ruth's Chris? Well done. Or you take that two ways, okay. <laughs> or how about Jesse Smollett? We all make mistakes. Don't beat yourself up over it, okay? So anyway, just my, just my mind works like that once in a while, okay. So if there's any place there ought to be laughter about death, it ought to be in church on Easter Sunday. Because we can laugh at that. We can. Jesus said, I beat death. I came through death. I'm on the other side of it, and you'll beat it too. If you'll trust me and believe me, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Thank the Lord. It means that Jesus Christ not only rose from the dead, he's still alive today. Lo, I'm with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. The resurrection means I can believe everything that Jesus taught me. Death isn't the end. Death is a universal event. We're all going to (laughs) die. No fake news there. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black or white, American, non-American, European, Asian. It's the great universal equalizer. Only a fool, though, would go through life unprepared for something he or she knows eventually is going to happen. And I say that you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. All of us have to wonder at some stage of life, what's it really going to be like? What's, What's going to happen to me when I die? There are a lot of misconceptions about death. Movies and books, a lot of them are way off base. They've got these crazy ideas. Just open the book and read what it says. If you want to know what's going to happen related to death, just check it out with the source. The authority of this is Jesus. He obviously knows a lot more about death and resurrection than we do. And this is news you can use. It's essential. Here's what the Bible says is going to happen after you die. That heaven is a perfect place. There are no mistakes in heaven. There are no tears. They're going to be all wiped away. No more pain or suffering or death. And if you're going to live there, you've got to be perfect. Well, I don't stand a chance. (laughs) Correct answer. None of us. That's why God came up with plan B. Only two ways to get to heaven according to the Bible. One is plan A, you be perfect. You earn your way there by your perfection. 
You've always done the right thing. You've never done a wrong thing. You've lived a perfectly sinless life. And if you're able to do that, and you step up to God one day and he asks, why should I let you into this perfect place I've created? Say, well, I've been perfect all my life. Then God would say to you, well, then you've earned it. Good, come on in. And the definition of perfect would be like getting into the Baseball Hall of Fame if the rules for entry were you were you were batting 1,000 for your entire career. You were never put out. And you played error-free ball for your entire career. Not a chance. No one would be in the Hall of Fame. So God comes up with plan B. Plan B is you trust the only perfect person who ever lived to get you in on his merits. His name is Jesus Christ. And establish a relationship with him rather than trying to get in on your own merits, because that's an utter fail. A preacher took his son and six of his son's friends to the amusement park for a birthday party. So they're out there having a good time. He bought a roll of tickets, and they get on a ride, and he'd peel off one course for his son. Then the next six kids who were in line, friends of the son. And at one of the rides, all of a sudden, a seventh kid stands there, got his hand out looks down at the little boy and says, who are you? And the boy said, I'm your son's new friend. (laughs) And he told me that if if I'm his friend, that his daddy would give me a ticket. One day you're going to stand before God and God's going to say, why should I let you into this perfect place? You could say, well, plan A, I was perfect. Not. (laughs) Bye-bye. Not going to happen. Or you could say, I'm a friend of your son Jesus and he's paid for my admission because I've allowed him to cover my failures. Jesus Christ has already paid your way of entry into heaven. All of us are here this Easter for different reasons. Some are here today because of tradition. It's Easter. Some are here today because someone invited you. Some are here because you saw an advertisement. It looked interesting. Regardless of the reason you're here, You are not here by accident. God knew you would be here. The Holy Spirit was waiting for you. And I believe God brought you here today to get your attention for about 35 minutes so he could say this to you. You matter to God. You really do. And he has a plan for you. And he wants you, he wants you to know him personally. Because he already knows you. He wants you to know him. He wants to forgive all you've done wrong. Why would he do that? Because he loves you. He brought you out of his own heart from eternity past into time and had a scheduled meeting with you here today by the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to be sure and know that you're going to spend forever with him in eternity called heaven. He wants you to be a part of his family. He's been pacing up and down, looking on the horizon to see if the prodigal, wayward child was going to return home to his father's house. And you might think, well, life seems pretty meaningless. You know, I've got a full schedule, but not very fulfilled. What's the purpose? What, what meaning does life have? The good news is God has a plan for your life. And some think, well, I may believe in God as a creator, 
because what I see around me couldn't have just happened by accident. And when you have creation, there's got to be a creator. It takes more faith not to believe in a creator than to believe in one when you look around at the intricacies of how everything has been developed and made. Just to say the whole world happened by accident would be like going out and buying a bunch of aluminum and a bunch of steel and a bunch of plastic and a bunch of fiberglass and a bunch of rubber and then you would get some kind of a spring-loaded lift or hydraulic lift and you would throw all of that up in the air and then when it all came down landing on four wheels was a brand spanking new Lamborghini all ready for you to just jump in and start and drive away the odds of that you it takes more faith to believe in that than to simply believe God put it all together, the master worker. Amen? You say, well, I believe there's a creator. I just don't know if he's personally involved in my life. He is. That's the good news. God is interested in you, and he's waiting for you. He's made contact because he loves you. And he wants you to make contact in return. He's saying, I'm sending you signals. Did you ever kind of, in the middle of something, get this, where'd that come from? Or you were doing something and you knew that's probably not something out of, and you got this startled check. and you, Where'd that come from? It's God trying to reach you, making contact, saying, you don't want to go there. It's going to damage you. Some are saying, well, I could never be forgiven for all the stuff I've done. Wrong. You can be forgiven. You will be forgiven if you trust Jesus with all the matters of what you've done in history. And some say, well, I'm afraid of dying. You don't have to be if you know where you're going. I'm not afraid of dying. I know where I'm going. So these benefits I've talked to you about are all summed up in one word, salvation. Salvation. That puts it all together. I'm saved. Creation just didn't happen. It wasn't parts all coming together by accident or by some kind of a simultaneous attraction to each other. Neither did you. God designed you, specifically brought you into this world say, well, it's been hard on me. I know, it's been hard. Yes, it's a broken planet filled with broken people. And God is the healer of our brokenness. When we get to heaven, the brokenness will have ended. Thank God, no more brokenness. I know where I'm going. Do you know where you're going? Salvation means God has a plan for my life. And, And listen, he wants to know me personally. He wants to forgive all my sins. He wants to be sure I make it to heaven and live with him forever after when I die. That's good news. Well, how do I get there? Well, I can't give you salvation. You've got to ask the Father for it. And what do you say? Well, you pray a simple prayer and you say, Father, you sent your son Jesus to be my substitute. He died on a cross taking the punishment I deserve because the wages of sin is death and he died though he was sinless without sin he jumped in in my place and took 
what I deserved. And, and by raising him from the dead, you ensured that I also one day could rise from the dead. I believe Jesus is who he says he was. And I believe that not only did he die for my sins, but I believe I get to spend eternity with him. And I want to get to know you, Lord, personally. You pray that prayer. I want you to not only be my Savior, but my Lord, the new CEO in my life, the, the manager of my life, because you've given me the gift of eternal life. I give you back direction for my life. And each of us today, we're at different stages in our spiritual journey. Some are here today and would say, honestly, I don't know if I died today if I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure. You need to talk to God about this. I'm scrapping plan A because I know I'm not perfect. I'm going to put my faith in plan B and trust your son, Jesus Christ, that I need a relationship. And some would say, well, I was close to God one day, but I've kind of drifted. I don't feel close to him much anymore. Does God have a word for me? Yep. Verse in Isaiah where he said, the Lord himself who saved them in, in his love and compassion, he rescued them. He'll rescue you no matter how far you've drifted off. He's the God who said, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. So come home to God on this Easter Sunday morning. Some have moved here or transferred into the area. You thought, well, I've never, I need a new church home. I haven't had a church home. Need to find one. Well, you just did. The best one you could find. And now you need to get involved. By letting him come into your life, that's what God wants to do. And I want every one of you to know Jesus Christ personally like I do. And if this morning you say, this sounds good to me, and I think I want to establish a relationship with Jesus, not religion, but a relationship with Jesus, or I've fallen away now, I want to reestablish and reaffirm and recommit my life, this is the moment to do it. Let's all stand together on our on our feet for just a few seconds.